Okay, so, welcome back to We Want More. Today we're discussing chapter 6, which I think is about as long as the first five chapters put together. So, Brian, what'd you think? It's, I'm not sure how. I thought many things. Um, mostly I kept wondering, like, oh, you know, I think broadly speaking, I would say I don't like Harry in chapter 6 nearly as much as I liked Harry in chapter 5. So, we'll talk about it as we go. There, there were points in this chapter where he was kind of a douchebag. Nice. Um, yeah, I think Harry so, didn't like Harry as much in this chapter either. I guess, oh, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, so, refresh, this all runs together in my head. How did we actually start? Because we were already in Diagon Alley at the end of five. Let's see, I think it ended with him at the uh, robe shop after that incident with Draco Malfoy. Ah, uh, that's right, the home. Okay, so then it's just... Oh, yeah. It's just McGonagall and Harry, like, try, basically trying to finish out his shopping list. Yeah, and while they're walking yeah, yeah, from yeah. store to store, he's going through his mm-hmm. pouch and dropping off cash and picking it back up and oh, trying yeah, so, to... Yeah, so he, already got, so he already got the pouch, and then he's basically just sort of, like, playing with it. Well, I, that, that, and that was one of the things I noticed is that, like, the way he's playing with it... Um, we're both computer programmers... Uh, it was like he's just like fiddling with the thing like it's a program. Like he's like, let me see what it does if I do this. Let me see what it does if I do that. He's like testing it. Exactly. And he's trying to Never. find consistent test cases where it'll pass or fail. And he becomes quickly frustrated by the fact that it doesn't seem to have coherent rules. Yeah, it, was, yeah, it like has rules, but then they're not. I guess that would probably, if it was just random, it probably would have annoyed him less. But it seems to definitely have rules. And then it decides whether or not it feels like following them. Yeah, so like and he I tries. Did, I came after the fact because I, I didn't get. It. I'm like, is this some kind of magical word? Because he asks the bag. He's like, give me a bag of Okane. I'm like, is that some weird magic thing that I like wasn't paying attention? And it turns out no. He's like speaking Japanese to his bag because Harry is a weebo. <laughs> I, I that's that's completely fair. <laughs> he's he's more uh, of a weebo than I am because he at least speaks enough know. Japanese to know what gold is. I guess so. Is that yeah? I don't even know. Is that just that? Theoretically, I too am a weeboo and I took a year of Japanese in college, but not enough that I recognize the word Okane. But. Nice. So yeah, it, it does work when he says it in Japanese, but it doesn't work when he says tokens of economic exchange. And then yeah, he asks McGonagall, hey, can you give me two words, one for gold, one for something that isn't gold, and have it in a language I don't know. And so she gives him Ahava and Zahav, which is Hebrew, and the other word is love. And he says, bag of Zahav, and the gold pops out, and it turns out that it's gold. Or excuse me, that, yeah, Zahav is gold. And So yeah, so then it turns out like the bag speaks any language, but it didn't, but he couldn't describe what he wanted. Yeah. So it seems like it's almost on purpose that these, like, that he's giving it, like, some, like, the way he wrote, the, the way that this bag would work is, like, it's trying to follow some kind of logic but is doing it in like an irritatingly inconsistent manner yeah that sounds about right um it's i like the quote where harry thought over his collective his collected experimental data it was only the most crude and preliminary sort of effort but it was enough to support at least one conclusion ah this doesn't make any sense (laughs) (laughs) so it's weird i keep going back and forth between like when he'll do especially because like if he'll go right in the middle of my nerd wheelhouse. Like, I'll find that stuff really amusing and, like, engaging. And then there's other times where he'll pull this, like, you know, like the irritating kind of nerd. I'm like, oh, my God, I want to punch this kid. Yeah. I, so I keep, I keep going back and forth. It's 
kind of interesting where I'm. No, I, I can feel I it. Keep reacting to things. I think for him, it's like this. He's trying to figure out just the the basics. You know, it, it's. I mean, just imagine how frustrated you'd be if you started at a new job and you're trying to write test cases in a language you don't know, like Go, and the test cases were this obtuse, and you're like, "What the hell are you doing?" Except for him, he's trying to figure out how the universe actually works, and is just throwing shit in his face. <laughs> I think that's kind of what's what makes it work well with when it's magic stuff is that it really can like if we were trying to have this actually be like quote science, like we'd it would be harder to to work in what kind of you know weird little gimmicks uh, we want with how he's interacting with these things. But because it is magic, it can be sort of ridiculously inconsistent in a way that only could be because somebody was trying to make it interesting. Um, but, it, but it doesn't really matter because, like, you know, maybe the guy who made the magic spell decided that it, he wanted it to speak languages, but it's not smart enough to understand what you mean. So all that kind of stuff works. Interesting. Yeah, that's that sounds like that's could that could be what's going on. It certainly beats McGonagall's answer of just magic. And Harry's like, that's just See, a I word. Keep liking it. <laughs> yeah, but uh, so that, that kind of leads into what I was thinking. Yeah, and so he's he's talking to her about like as he's trying to like figure out how this thing works and then it, that sort of like moves into him trying to draw this larger picture of like okay i walked into this wizarding world and they have all these new ways that you know are new to me ways that that the world works and he, he starts to he's he's trying to think about how as he's trying to figure out the limits and the, just sort of like the rules of how magic works that he's seeing that like McGonagall doesn't know and and at least to him it appears like she doesn't care and I think he uses the word like incurious about her and I was wondering I mean, this might be a good point for me to read this part that I saw um, so yeah so he asked her how it worked and she basically gave him the same answer of well it's magic and so he says Professor McGonagall undoubtedly knew every last detail of how you went about turning into a cat but she seemed to have literally never heard of the scientific method. To her, it was just muggle magic. And she didn't even seem curious about what secrets might be hiding behind the natural language understanding of the retrieval charm. And what, it, so what I thought as I was reading that was I'm wondering to what level, um, like how dumb are we supposed to think the wizarding world is? Like how much of this like boy genius superhero is Harry? and the Wizarding World is really dumb, or are we going to later... I guess what I was thinking was, maybe we're going to see that there's some perfectly good reason, or at least some some explainable reason for why people... why she can't just sort of explain the why of, of how things are working, that it that there's some reason better than, oh, because they're dumb and Harry's smart. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think... And this is... Like, my thoughts as I was reading this chapter, it's, it seems like there's a couple of possibility or a couple of angles to approach this from. So one of them is like, it could just be that it's just not part of the, the magical curriculum of the education system to like understand the why of things. And it's more just about understanding the, um, the how and the what of things kind of like uh, primary school in, you know, if you're, if you're taking a science class, you have to be able to, answer multiple choice test on what happens if you combine these two elements maybe but you don't have to really get it you just have to be able to to know what happens at a surface level right so yeah it could be that they just they they aren't brought up with like the the principle of understand why and just more of the here's how things work 
I'm trying like there, there is a charitable way to view that that doesn't make them stupid it, it just like humans 500 years ago were stupid in the sense that they maybe were credulous and didn't really think about you know why are things working this way and they would just be not even inclined to ask like hey why does um i don't know what's a natural phenomena that everybody saw back then that was mysterious you know like maybe an eclipse Rainbows. or something what was that rainbow yeah perfect uh, so it could be kind of like that um yeah. but it is di- but it's different to some extent because so that's people are ignorant and not ignorant in some sort of like judgment they literally there are things they don't know yet and that same excuse wouldn't apply to wizarding world they're not ignorant or incapable of they're more capable of finding out these things so it sounds i mean we don't yet know enough yet um or at least i don't because i've only read through chapter six but that like is the reason they don't know these things because of just this rampant in curiosity in the in wizarding world or what i guess what i kept wondering at was are we going to run into something that sort of explains why this behavior makes sense even among relatively intelligent people that aren't just these sort of incurious slobs? And I guess what I'm sort of like starting to sidle up to as I'm reading this is like, because I probably mentioned this a few times, there's this kind of stuff is bothering me, bothering me with how Harry behaves because it sounds so familiar with ways that I act sometimes. And it's those things that I don't like about how I act because Harry's kind of coming across as that that arrogant little know-it-all fuck (laughs) that like enjoys occasionally condescending to the people around him in order to like in this really sort of like low self-esteem kind of way, like to make him feel better about himself. And having just said that, I'm like, wow, am I projecting? (laughs) um he does and so that's what i'm getting but but it also is like oh you know like this is my world these are my people so like we do this this is a thing we do a lot um and so i'm wondering like is that so i haven't been able to to tell is this something that's being consciously done by the author or is this just like that he's another guy like me that goes off this way on people um and so i'm still not sure yet but that's what i keep getting at um is is to what extent is are we, we're kind of like walking this line between like Harry the Ravenclaw, which we'll get to in a second. We're, we're very explicitly saying Harry's going to be Raven here later, but is it that like Harry the Ravenclaw or is it like, or is it an intentional, I guess, is it the intent of the author for this to bother me <laughs> or is that just the way it is, I guess? And so I'm still like, that's what's kind of bubbling in, in the back of my brain as I'm reading this. Yeah, it's it's not quite clear if the author is trying to annoy you or trying to make Harry annoying or is projecting himself as he would imagine himself feeling if he was i think the other thing to consider here too is that for more or less other than maybe being a bit wittier and and more mature ish maybe is the way to put it mcgonagall seems almost exactly the same as she does in the in the canon books right that's true yeah in that series nobody was curious why when you waved your wand and said would guardian leviosa the right way stuff floated right it was just like this just happens is that, I guess I'm trying to think back, I guess because it's not something that, it's not a, like an important issue as the, like the plot we're dealing with in the, in the original books, but is it that they like don't care or is it, or is it almost just like, well, everybody knows this and that's like not important because it's, it's not like you and I are discussing, you know, how are the electrons flowing through these cords that we're talking to and there's an internet that's communicating these things across, like those are just sort of known and part of the atmosphere that we're in. Exactly. I think that's the way to, that... This, that's that's how I view the wizards viewing magic is like I flick the switch in this room and the light comes on and unless I'm inclined to learn more I don't really care 
or need to understand more than that. I know that if I want to be able to see, I can turn the light on, or I flick that switch and I can see. So, I mean, you know, with substituting technology for magic, my my spell is flicking that switch, and boom, the room is full of light. And unless I'm just not curious, then there's nothing more for me to be concerned with. Yeah, I guess what I was thinking was that it might be more that, because that's just not, wasn't part of, you know, not essential to the plot as in the original books, that... I guess my impression was more like they probably do know all those things, but they're just not constantly discussing them or, or, or just like, like you and I and electricity, you know, when I flip on the lights, I think I have a fairly good understanding of how the electricity is flowing around in my house. Um, so, and so I know like what goes on when I flip switches, but I'm not thinking about it all the time and I'm probably not expert, but I know a fair amount. Yeah, you probably know more than I do. And that said, I mean, if if I needed to wire a room myself, I couldn't do it. I know what wires look like. I would know what a broken light looks like, but I don't know enough about the underlying physics of electricity and mag- and and uh, the metals involved in the light bulbs to like make my own stuff, right? So it could just sort of be where you know she's not. It, so I think Harry kind of puts it down in a nice quote here. He's like, possibility one, magic was so incredibly opaque, convoluted, and impenetrable that even the wizards and witches had tried their best to understand, they had made little or no progress, and eventually given up, and Harry would, knew, and Harry would do no better. Or, Harry cracked his knuckles in determination, but they made a quiet sort of clicking sound rather than echoing ominously off, the Diagon, off of Diagon Alley. Possibility two, he'd be taking over the world. Or possibility three, you're an 11-year-old kid and not as smart as you think you are, and there is some grown-up reason that people behave this way that explains it all, but you just don't know it yet. That's what I... It is safe to assume that... That's sort of my grumpy old man to look look at it. I'm like, is that possibly the simplest explanation that you're just a kid and there's a lot you don't know yet? That does seem like a nice parsimonious explanation, and it is not one that did occur to Harry yet. I think in his... His his line of thinking is that hey I've, I'm old I'm old enough and smart enough already to understand the laws of physics as muggles understand them. There's no way magic is more convoluted than this or something. But yeah, it could be that yeah possibility three that this is just there's some other explanation there and Harry is just completely missing it. So he's he's baffled by the lack of investigation into science or into like I guess the science of how magical magic works you know that the magical world as he's seen it so far seems ridiculously unconcerned with people understanding the underlying rules which you know in his defense uh or i guess in the defense of magical britain the only person he's interacted with interacted with is professor mcgonagall who while being talented and smart maybe this just isn't something she cares about you know i know lots of smart people who don't care about how electricity works you know it could be could be analogous to that just trying not to be uncharitable to Professor yeah. McGonagall. Yeah, and I'm like, really? Because you you sort of know the answer to this is the, you can't tell me, uh, like, how this vibe plays out for the rest of the book. Um, but yeah, I don't know yet. Because this, like, if this, if part of what goes on with the rest of the story is, like, Harry working out, where, like, maybe, you know, 20 chapters from now, Harry's like, huh, you know, I have been kind of, like, arrogantly assuming I know everything here and I didn't really and like him working that part of his personality out that would be kind of really interesting and cool so I don't know all, all I can say is that it wouldn't so, be a good story if there wasn't character growth there you go so I'm hoping that he doesn't if he was this condescending and this uh mature especially you know after more than 20 minutes of 
playing with one magical artifact, I guess we'll just have to see where it goes. So, you know, there's there's other fun little quotes, and this is some of just the levity that I always that I like. And this is, um, like we kind of talked about, the first four-ish chapters didn't, they were still kind of getting their, their sea legs, I think, as far as mm-hmm. what the story was going to be like. But he has this thought after he decides that he might take over the world where, first of all, she asks him, or no, wait, that's later. So uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, he's thinking, he says, you know, you're mine now, as he thought to the, you know, to Dagon Ali, the British, you know, wizarding Britain into the um, the entire universe, which muggle scientists understood so much less than they believed. I, Harry James Evan, excuse me, I, Harry James Potter Evans Varus, do now claim this territory in the name of science. Science! <laughs> and lightning and thunder completely failed to flash and boom in the cloudless skies. And then she asks him... I highlighted that one, too. That's, <laughs> isn't that, that great? One of my favorite parts. And then he's he remember, he makes a note to memorize that, so future historians look at that line, right? But she's <laughs> she's like, what are you smiling about? Kind of like weary and wary. And mm-hmm. she, He's like, oh, I'm wondering if there's a spell to make lightning flash and ever make an ominous resolution. And then this little bit of kind of childishness on him, but it's it's intentional and adorable. It was like, she's like, I have the distinct feeling I have to be doing something about this. And, oh, ignore it. It'll go away. Ooh, shiny. <laughs> Ooh, shiny. Go looking off. I like this, these, these parts with these, like, you know, winking to the camera kind of stuff. Like the, you know, because he's almost talking about, like, meta, like, oh, I'm in this book, so I got to make sure that I remember this time when I say the right, you know, momentous sounding thing. Yeah. There's um, definitely a, a component of, like, genre savviness to him. Mm-hmm. which is the trope of, you know, the character has read books like the story that he's in. So he's like, well, when I read fantasy books, this is the sort of thing that happens. And there's, I'm not, I haven't read enough characters that are genre savvy to like, or at least that are explicitly genre savvy to know how hard of a line this is to walk. But he does it in a way where, you know, it's not, he doesn't lean into the fourth wall at all, but he's like, oh, this is, he, he, he'll, he'll like call out tropes to himself yeah, yeah so. and he's doing he's doing a good job of like because yeah you do have to to strike a balance there but he's doing and it it feels like he's doing it fairly naturally like he's not having to you know calculate very hard about what's the right way to do this stuff because it comes up really well it's it's sort of funny and light and and it's yeah and it's right right after this that Harry refers to his pouch as Harry's bag of holding yes <laughs> been quite a, there's been quite a few D and D nods going on here yeah I think that. Was it in the last chapter when they first got there and he's like looking at stuff and he's like, this looks like stuff that would fit in a game of D&D, which he said that he hadn't mm-hmm. played, but he'd read the manuals of because he had been interested in the game. But I think it's, this is me purely speculating, but I think it's safe to say that he didn't play much because he needed friends to play D&D with. So. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, because he's still, he's the homeschool kid. Yeah. And as, as we talk about a bit later, he doesn't really have friends, you know, like he's, you know, like you pointed out, you know, he, he's an arrogant asshole, but he's 11. And so, like, the other 11-year-olds he hangs out with at, you know, presumably if he goes to community functions or whatever, they're not playing on his level, right? So, you know, they're not yeah, going to... I realized we're walking through this today that, uh, um, like, my daughter is 11 years old. She just turned 11. So I realized, like, oh, I can, like, start comparing these things back to... And maybe that's why some of this stuff rings fairly off is that like the way he's talking versus even you're going to stretch it into like he's this you know ubermensch little kid like someone's like okay he's 11 man so yeah it's curious to see how that'll play out because you know draco seems to if he wasn't playing the science game as level as at the same level as harry he was playing the the wit and i don't know ability to follow 
a second level conversation with, right? So and I can't remember in the is Harry supposed to be eleven years old in the beginning of the of the first book? In yes. Because yeah, I would because obviously in the movie um, he's a lot older than that because it's movies. But I would say like even in my own recollection of how that worked, like he was definitely like young pubescent kind of vibe. But I like if you were gonna make me, you know, nail it down, I would have guessed he was like thirteen ish, just from how he feels in the books. I'm so trying to remember. What's this? Because I guess I just sort of relating it back to just you know regular school is what grade quote is harry supposed to be in is this because if he's 11 that would be like sixth grade yeah fifth and sixth grade fifth I grade think. Even. fifth and sixth grade is that like the age of because what are they but they're seven years right right i think magical schooling yeah, goes through right. like 10 yeah, or 11 age. through 17 or 18 yeah yeah because because he turned 17 uh at the end because i can't remember exactly that like gets him out of some rules of things he wasn't allowed to do do before. I think Underage Magic or something is how yeah. the seventh book opens. Something like that. Yeah. There's that, and there's something about, like, I think teleporting or something when they're... Yeah. Or a- apparating. Which I guess is teleporting with a pop. I'm not sure what yeah. the difference is, but, yeah. <laughs> That's a more Latin-y sounding. That's true. Teleporting. So, book-wise, the next thing that happens is they go to, uh... They're at some, I don't know, store, and he's trying to buy this emergency healing pack plus... And oh, yeah. it's he goes on to describe the contents of it, and it, you know a lot of it doesn't really matter except for I guess the nod here, which um, Dementor exposure treatment, which looked and smelled like ordinary mm-hmm. chocolate, which we know because we read Harry Potter that it is. Because it's ordinary <laughs> chocolate. Uh-huh. But so you know it goes on to describe that there's a bunch of ingredients which tell us that this is a extremely extensive emergency kit, and Professor McGonagall is giving him this weary look, or I guess what he describes as the evil eye. And she's like, why do you need a healer's kit? And, you know, why, why do you expect to need one, she says. She's like, I don't expect to need it. It's just in case. In case of what? <laughs> this one, I mean, and not at all in a bad way, but I kept thinking as I was reading this, I'm like, oh, Harry is just neurotic. This, and this wasn't like, it, it totally worked. It's like, it didn't like pull me out of the reality. It was like, oh, this kid is like weirdly neurotic with like this, like what do they call it? Like hypervigilance or something. Like he's always worried that like, something bad is going to happen but not in this not in any sort of ptsd way but just like this kid worries too much yeah I mean, it, told, it, it was both like it struck me as like okay this is weird and off but it also worked in that like i was actually believing this kid is this real kid is really weird and off and what's going on with him i agree that for a kid it's certainly weird behavior i'm i'm not yeah. quite this level of prepared in my usual life but i i do have lots of contingencies for things i mean the trunk of my car has I think two backup pairs of shoes, like a uh, jumper kit. You know, it's got all, I mean, the trunk, my trunk barely has room for groceries because it's full of crap. And if I had a magical bag of holding, you can bet I'd have a, a medical kit in there. But um, yeah, for an 11 year old, it's weird, right? And so. Yeah, and it, and it does work with like the, with his weird control freaky vibe is like, because McGonagall asks him, she's like, why are you thinking about all these things? He says, so I can stop it from happening. Like he's, I don't know if he like thinks he's going to be able to like, you know, control every event in his universe or, well, I mean, it does sound like he thinks that, like if he can just think hard enough about everything that he can prevent anything bad from happening, uh, which is totally neurotic and bizarre, but I'm, but it worked. It's like, oh, I, I really believe that he thought that. It's funny because so. that's how I think, but that said, it doesn't sound like the normal thought patterns of, a, of an 11 year old who isn't like post-trauma, which, you yeah. know, so like, all right, what the hell did you endure to make you this way is like the completely natural line of thought if you're watching a, an 11-year-old act yeah. this this sort of defensive. And he's like, oh, that's what you're thinking when I bought 
the feather falling potion, the gillyweed and all, you know, the food and water pills and all this stuff. And he's like, what sort of plan do you think I have going here? <laughs> she mm-hmm. says, I don't know, but it either ends in you delivering a ton of silver to Gringotts or, or in world domination. World domination is such an ugly phrase. I prefer to call it world optimization. <laughs> As we were watching, actually, I kind of, I really liked this this part of it and i was as i was moving sort of moving that conversation forward in my head uh and it it doesn't look like they they got to where i was thinking about this but what what it kept bringing to mind for me was like harry's doing all this worrying in hope of preventing something bad and i kept picturing like mcgonagall maybe saying to him it's like this that worry is a cost you're paying and i think like from Harry's point of view, it just sounds like, well, no, I, if I can just like control this stuff, I'll prevent something bad from happening, and then that, and then that'll be worth it. And sort of, you know, overlooking that, like all of that worrying is making you miserable, and that is a cost you are constantly paying, hoping that it will prevent one single bad thing from happening. Um, yeah, and that just sort of like goes in my sort of broader view of like where our world is going with, you know. Facebook trying to make us all worry about what kind of toothpaste we're using. <laughs> yeah, I, I think his his view, which admittedly doesn't make sense for an eleven year old, is like, or not admittedly, this isn't a fault on the story. The story may or may not address why he's this way or whatever, right? But the and that's not me being cryptic. It's just like we we haven't mm-hmm. read the rest. We don't know why you know what the hell's going on with him, right? You know, it's like if you're in the car with somebody, you know. My, my mom's gotten better at this, but certainly shortly after she got a smartphone, she was a pretty bad driver. And um, if I'm in the car with her, I would take, I would do things like watch the road while she's driving and keep, I, I have like a contingency plan where if she goes, you know, starts doing something stupid, well, I can slide the car into neutral and I can, I can grab the e-brake and that'll slow us down. Like, and I, those are things I can do from the passenger seat. And so like, I think of things to kind of, Again, so I anticipate something bad happening, and I think of a way to fix it. And to me, that seems perfectly natural. And sort of like Harry, it doesn't seem like it's causing him a lot of distress. You know, he 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 describes, you know, this to him, well, to us too at the time, kind of funny way of like when he might need this kit. And it's like we, I think I I can get that, but I don't think I was that neurotic as an eleven-year-old. And that said, yeah. it doesn't seem like his his neurosis here is causing him that much consistent anguish it's just like no this is part of what you do as a responsible person you think of what negative things can happen and you stop that's what was funny about it though is that that was like my reaction to it was like oh wow this kid's like profoundly neurotic and i want to say yeah like it totally worked like i was in it like believing that this this is a thing that's really happening i guess it sort of makes me think like like we don't think as we're doing it that there's any sort of like cost to us taking off our shoes before we get on an airplane and that it's, you know, making the world safer, except, like, not really, and maybe it is just a little bit, but, like, this not acknowledging that there's this, like, cumulative effect to every weird little thing we worry about, that, not that the worrying is not worth doing in some cases, but, like, we're not looking at both sides of that, and we're like, you know, if, I, if I've got X amount of worry to spread around, am I spending it foolishly? Okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. So, I don't know, I mean, that's, I, I just, like, I like that it was sort of interesting, it was making me think about that, and... Like and it seems definitely like this is part of who this character is. So we're gonna we're gonna see more of this. Yeah, and so. <laughs> I think we we will see more of this too. It's she she goes on to ask him like why are you why are you being this way? And he's like I don't have some crazy dangerous plan. You don't get me at all. Like I'm trying to be safe and prudent and cautious. Mm-hmm. I'm preparing for unforeseen contingencies. And 
I, I sort of get his frustration. You know, like I have a fire uh, extinguisher in my house. I should probably have two, but I only have one, which now that I think about it is completely stupid. What if the fire is between me and the fire extinguisher? But I, you, I'll burn that bridge when I come to it. you more than me. Yeah. Oh, that was a good joke. That was solid. That was a solid joke, <laughs> by the way. But the... <laughs> Uh, it's, it was an accidental joke. I sort of just replaced every time I, I say it, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. I say we'll burn mm. it, and sometimes Minus it's I'll funny. jump off that bridge when I get to it. <laughs> I like that one. I'll start using that one at work. Mm-hmm. So he's thinking, like, you know, so she's like, all right, what sort of contingency can you imagine this kit might prepare you for, young man? And this this is that attitude that I think you're expressing, which is completely fair. It's like, dude, you're at school with adults. Like, what, what do you need to be prepared for? And so he, he's like, he goes on this little spiel of, well, like, say one of my classmates could bitten by a horrible monster. And as I scrabble frantically in my mokeskin pouch for something that could help her, she looks at me sadly and with her last breath says, why weren't you prepared? And then she dies. And I know as, she, as her eyes close that she won't ever forgive me. And then the sales girl, girl gasps and she, he looks at her and then she kind of flees into the deeper recesses of the shop and he's like confused. So Professor McGonagall drags him out and puts up a quieting charm and then she's like you know there was a war here 10 years ago and to speak of people dying friends dying in your arms it's not those that's not jokes we make and he's like oh oh shit i get it oh man yeah, this this is one of the this is like i talk about like it bothers me because it's so like me I could totally relate to this. All the times where you like say something, you think you're being all clever and funny, and then you realize you just really hurt somebody's feelings, and that's you're like the biggest asshole in the universe. Like, oh, like you just it's it sounded funny to you until you said it out loud. And then yeah, you weren't thinking of the context, and yeah, I was cringing along with him as I was watching. I'm like, oh yeah, I know that feel. Well, and I, I, I had the same laugh, cringe response here, too, because, like, his, his situation's ridiculous and funny, and, like, especially from, again, the, the tropey, genre-savvy kind of way, like, yeah, that's, that's hilarious. That's exactly what would happen in a, in a story, right? And then she kind of pulls him back, and it's like, you know, this isn't, like, us, you know, not, she doesn't say this, but kind of textually, this, this isn't a story. This is, like, there was a war. That's probably why that girl yeah. freaked out and ran away, and he's like, oh, shit she would have been like seven or eight ten years ago which means that when she saw someone die during this war she was a child and oh man am i the asshole here and so she tells him like you've got to learn to think before you speak mr potter or you'll also go through life without many friends yeah and i liked it like it seemed like he got that like he was like showing some authentic emotion around that where like he really did feel bad about it yeah, totally. He doesn't seem like a psychopath. Like he that. just seems like yeah. like inconsiderate. Not which this is part. A big difference. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so at at the very least, you know, he and like you said, he does it does sort of sink in. Even that lesson of you know try to think before you speak. He does say at some point in the next few paragraphs where it's like you know he might not remember that tomorrow, but he can at least remember it for five minutes. And she asks why he would say something like that. Why would you even think it? And he's like, I was just trying to imagine the worst case scenario. Um, and he didn't want to say that, you know, he had been joking a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but why? So I can stop it from happening. And that's sort of that, you know, neurotic responsibility yeah. you were talking about. And then this is where she kind of, you know, she kneels down beside him and, you know, her um, voice is more gentle. And she's like, it's not your responsibility to take care of the students. It's mine. I won't let bad stuff happen. And we've got a healer at the school. And, you know, you don't need a healer's kid at all. And 
he's like, but I do. Nowhere is safe. And this is sort of him just being, you know, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. It'd be kind of like, and it's it's later. Oh, yeah. It's the next sentence where she's like, you know, you know, you don't need to. He's, so I'm getting ahead of myself. He's like, what if when I go home for Christmas, there's an accident? You know, my, you know, whatever, my parents have a heart attack. And she's like, you know, why would you think that? There's no, there's no such, there's no need to think about such terrible things. And this is where he gets kind of twisted up and bitter. And he's like, yes, there is. If you don't think, you just get yourself hurt or end up hurting other people. And this could be where, like, I, you know, my mom would never do this. But hypothetically, if my mom was like, oh, my God, why would you think about buying a fire extinguisher? You know, thinking about your house burning down is, so, is such a terrible thing. That, you know, that, that's, that's an awful thought to have. That's sort of what he's feeling like. And he's definitely feeling condescended to. That's not how you talk to an adult, right? Yeah. It, if, they were, if they were being totally over the, over the, can't think of the word, if they're being totally crazy about it and had, I mean, even a panic room sounds really cool to have, but, you know, like, <laughs> um, I don't know, a gun in every room and two constantly strapped to their person and uh, whatever, a go bag in three different locations in their house and just, you know, whatever, over the top preparedness, then that's a point where you might mm-hmm. talk with another adult and be like, are you sure you're okay? Um, yeah. but you would ask them like, and I think we okay? resp- I think yeah. Harry's, I think Harry's response to the, his reaction to this, I think we were supposed to see it as like, okay, this Harry's taking this too far, not in any kind of critical way, but like, Oh, this kid is war- like, is trying to carry the weight of the world on him. Yeah. I'm talking too much. And that's, that's a good yeah. point. He is. Um, it certainly seems that way. So yeah, sorry. You summarize what's going on next. I realize I've been rambling and fuck you're the, you're, uh, no. you're, this is your show. So. It's my show. I didn't know that. This is this is our show, but I feel like I've done more than fifty percent of the talking. Yeah. So we, so and I gotten kind of lost in the jumble of what happens while they're having these conversations. So so he's he's saying that about like he's just trying to prevent every single bad thing in the world happening, and then it gets to another part that was oh and then Harry Harry didn't like himself when he was angry. I thought that was another little <laughs> shout out to to nerd world. But uh, how does it go? Because then it gets into, there's this, well, we'll just jump, we can jump back if I've jumped too far ahead, but there's this weird part where, again, I think they're talking about like, oh, it's when McGonagall asks him if he wants to get an owl, and he's like, I don't want an owl, I don't want a pet. And the conversation just takes this weird left turn where, like, she's trying to, like, get Harry to, again, project himself onto whether or not he was an owl. It basically turns into this weird thing about, like, oh, if the owl was starving, that this is somehow, like, some metaphor for, like, Harry being abused as a child. And then, and I'll read this part, that um, Harry's anger was spiraling out of control into pure black fury. Don't you ever dare breathe the word. He's, so he's, he's sort of cornered McGonagall to say, like, oh, you think my parents abused me. Uh, and she didn't say like directly yes, but basically uh, it admitted that that's where she was going. But, yeah, so, right before this, he, he, drag, was... he drags her by the hand and says, "Can you put up the choir yeah, and, yeah, and he corners her?" Yeah, yeah. He basically just wants to cheer her out, and he's like, "Don't you ever dare breathe a word of these these insinuations to anyone. No one, do you hear me, McGonagall? An accusation like that can ruin people and destroy families, even when the parents are completely innocent." This whole thing struck me as bizarre because it kind of came out of nowhere and. Why is Harry getting all bent out of shape about it? Was it was weird? Um, so, yeah, I guess right before that they have he he talks about the planning fallacy and which is the name of the chapter, because um, yeah. she's asking like you know why do you have to be on your guard and um, what happens to you and you pulled this quote out too. It's like what happened to me is only anecdotal evidence. 
Uh, it doesn't carry yeah. the same weight as a replicated peer-reviewed article, blah, 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 which is, you know, hoity-toity sort of stuff. But mm -hmm. he's trying to cite that, like, no, this isn't just, like, a me thing. This is a, a person thing. This is ubiquitous among people that we tend to anticipate that things go really well, but they don't. And so, Which is like sort of the center of everything we've been talking about. With, I mean, that's kind of the logic behind Harry's worrying. Yeah, but as far as him him spiraling out here and doing this, like like you said, oh, I guess what happens right before that though is that he, they she does kind of convince him to go inside and get the healer's kit. So, or excuse me, he convinces her to let him do that. He convinces her, yeah. And, but she does say, "I won't let you push me around." And then you know he's like. And then she lets him push him around. Well, she says, all right, let's okay. go get it. So she's still in charge. But yeah. I think she had heard his reasoning. It's like, all right, you know, whatever. I'll, I'll think about why you're like this. And so then, yeah, they have the conversation about having a pet. And then he says, you think I was abused? And then she says, were you? And he's like, no. You know, what do you think? I'm stupid. And then, yeah, then he gets, you know, like you said, left field, super pissed. And she goes to try and reach his, her hands towards him you know she's like harry and he steps up steps back and slaps her hand away and she's like it's all right i believe you and he's like do you or are you just waiting to get away from do me so you, you can file the papers i know it was it was weird it was weirdly out of place it was i think what he's concerned think, like, does the author have a thing going on like is this <laughs> is this a thing for you man are, are you okay like, <laughs> i think the author knows what he's doing do, um do you need to talk to someone i think the author's in his 30s, so I think he knows, you know, he, he's, if he needs to talk to somebody, he can, but um, it's, <laughs> I think what what's happening here is he, he's seeing, like, and he points out that, like, the system doesn't know how to stop. You know, this was, what, in the early 90s when these books were supposed to take place? So, remember, like, the, the, um, the daycare demon you know yeah, uh stuff of the 80s yeah it was like an 80s. so like he, he had read about this stuff and he's like no there's there's if you start breathing this shit around it's going to ruin my family and destroy my home and like the system doesn't know how to stop here like and so but i get i get why he kind of freaks out like as far as like oh shit i can't have the school authorities go tell him you know the whatever magic police that i'm being abused because they'll destroy my family but his demeanor is not that of somebody who is like at least not of an ordinary kid who is like panicking in that sort of uh yeah reflex um he he seems just from my read of it to just be throwing away the whole like all right i'm an 11 year old talking to my my adult attendant and i'm gonna just i need to take charge and own the, this situation um which isn't what kids do and that's kind of why she freaks out too yeah. And her freak out is more yeah. of like demurring and uh, trying to like reassure him, like it's all right, I believe you, it's it's fine. Yeah. And then she's <laughs> she kind of she had the same reaction I did, was like, dude, like, <laughs> dude, chill. Yeah, which tells me at least the author knows that the kid's behavior is unnatural, <laughs> right? So, which yeah, basically, like I'm wondering now, like, is this is there going to be some significance to this that we're going to see later? Or, you know, maybe not. I don't know, but it seems like that's a good question to ask. Um, yeah. It's. Oh, I got something. Ding, 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 ding. Well, Something's no, hit. not necessarily. I'm just... <laughs> it's... But yeah, I mean, like, certainly... And, and McGonagall points this out. It's like, look, I had to ask because something is clearly at work here. And she's like... And he's like, like, what? And she says, I've seen enough abused oh, yeah, kids to break it. your heart. And they, you know, you, you act like someone sometimes, only sometimes, that you know, who spent their first 11 years locked in a cellar, which is a nod yeah. to the original Harry Potter. 
Um, yeah. Or it's, yeah, it's just, she's also p- planning something here about, okay, there's something off about you more than just, than just regular personality stuff. Like she sees something and like, okay, it's not that he was abused, but so yeah, and I, as we're talking through that, yeah, there is something to this that is going to mean something. I think, yeah, there's something like that. There's a quote here that I didn't pull out, but where, um, you know, Harry thinks that if he could have seen his own reflection while he's doing experiments on the pouch, it would look just like McGonagall's face when she's kind of grilling him here. That she's she's doing the same thing. She's trying to figure out what's going on. And she, at the end of this, says all that. Like, you're a kid, and yet there are times when you're not acting like one. And this is this is weird. And you have to understand that, right? And so he's he takes it in, and in fairness, he processes it, and his rage goes away, and... Um, it dawned on him that he was being listened to respectfully and that his family wasn't in danger. And <laughs> then she's like, I don't know, but it's possible that something could have happened that you don't remember. And then his, his rage comes right back. Oh, yeah. and he's and like, right back. But then she like makes a completely valid point. Like, well, okay, that's not true. Except, well, magic. Yeah. He's like, like there's, maybe, there's such, such yes, thing as okay, suppressed maybe suppressed memories. memories aren't true, but yeah. ex- unless somebody casts a spell in which you totally have suppressed memories. He's like, oh, damn. He's like, oh, <laughs> shit. And then, you know, he's trying to analyze this as a good rationalist might try to do. And so, all right, well, how sure of, you, of your observations and what alternative explanations could there be? And she is completely fair. She's like, sure, I'm sure of nothing. I've never met anyone else like you. Sometimes you just, you just don't seem 11 years old or even all that human. <laughs> um, That's a good line. I'm sorry. I, I was trying to make a point. I'm afraid that came off sounding somewhat different from what I had in mind. On the contrary, Professor McGonagall, I shall take it as a very great compliment. <laughs> and then he has his own alternative explanation, which you feel free to let me know if you think is, is good at all. Do you remember that or you have that uh, pulled up? What's the, um, no, what's the, I'm getting them all confused. You went, go ahead. And, so his alternate explanation for, oh, for why she thinks he's odd, basically. What, I can't, I can't remember what. And we, we don't have to analyze it in depth. I just grabbed Well, yeah, it. no, but let me, let me look. Because it's, so I guess the reason it's it's worth bringing up is just because, you know, she's trying to figure out what the hell's going on. And the the best that she can think of is, like, it's possible that you were abused and obliviated. And so it's at least worth raising oh, okay. the fact that he has oh, you know, an alternative I don't, explanation. I don't, yeah, I don't think I picked up on that as I was reading it. Okay, that makes more sense. Hmm. Um, yeah, I didn't really get this as his sort of, like, his explanation, his understanding of himself. Um, okay, so, yeah, so they're kind of going back and forth about, you know, McDonald's trying to figure out how is he, basically, why are you so weird, Harry? Uh, it must be because you're abused. Well, no, okay, you're not, you're, you're not abused. And so, it, and so then is Harry sort of talking about his own understanding of why he behaves the way he does. Uh, and he's basically just saying, it's, it's sort of him acknowledging his own Ravenclawishness. So I'll go ahead and read uh, what, what he says right after the, she calls him almost not human. <laughs> he says, children aren't meant to be too much smarter than their parents, Harry said, or too much saner, maybe. My father could probably outsmart me if he was, you know, actually trying, instead of using his adult intelligence mainly to come up with new reasons not to change his mind. Harry stopped. I'm too smart, Professor. I've got nothing to say to normal children. Adults don't respect me enough to really talk to me. And frankly, even if they did, they wouldn't sound as smart as Richard Feynman. So I might as well read something Richard Feynman wrote instead. I'm isolated, Professor McGonagall. I've been isolated my whole life. Maybe that has some of the same effects as being locked in a cellar. 
and I'm too intelligent to look up to my parents the way that children are designed to do. My parents love me, but they don't feel obliged to respond to reason, and sometimes I feel like they're the children. Children who won't listen about absolutely, absolute authority over my whole existence. I try not to be too bitter about it, but I also try to be honest with myself. So yes, I'm bitter. And I also have an anger management problem, but I'm working on it. That's all. So it's sort of, I mean, it is kind of a good, like, self-awareness of, like, Harry knows that he acts a certain way. Uh, but I think more of the point of what he's just trying to say is that, you know, he's not, there's not some, you know, overly complicated or, you know, sinister reason for, for how he acts. He's just sort of aware. He's like, okay, I'm the smart, he's basically saying I'm the smart homeschooled kid. Uh, and that's left me kind of, you know, isolated. And, and that is why I'm interacting with you in this way. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's an interesting take. I didn't mean to cut you off. What were you going to say? Uh, no, go ahead. Like you said, it doesn't have to be anything sinister. It could just be, I'm too smart for my own good and too smart to, uh, whatever, carry on a conversation with an average 11-year-old. But even McGonagall's like, that's all? And he's like, that's all. You, you know, surely even in Magical Britain, the normal explanation is always worth considering. Um, yeah. So it, his, he... Yeah, and it's good, and at least it sort of shows like, okay, yes, this is how Harry is. And so he's sort of owning that, okay, this is the kind of character that we're both like plot wise like the author's telling us okay this is who harry is this is the point we're starting from with this character but then also like showing like harry has his own awareness of, of what that is so as we're talking through this it sort of clears up for me like okay how much of this is on purpose and how much is this is just you know how it's getting written um unintentionally it sounds like okay this is we're working on this this is intentionally being put there i think and you're the the literary analysis half of this this partnership so but my uh-huh. my take is that the the author knows what they're doing and this is sort of that principle of charity that i outlined in the the last episode which is just you know at least until you've seen the whole thing and can assess it on its on every aspect of it just sort of assume that this was on purpose yeah so certainly mcgonagall knows it notices harry's weird harry notices that notices that harry is weird and Naturally, her, her, uh, McGonagall goes to a uh, a magical explanation, and Harry thinks of a, of a mundane one, mm-hmm. or mundane on the on the context of you know they're they're magicians. Yeah. So let's see. The next up. Oh, he gets his wand. Yeah. Yeah. So as we're talking about this, it's just like this. This chapter is a little hard to piece together because, as far as I think you were calling it earlier, storyboard, like actual events here don't happen there's a lot of important kind of character development stuff but the order of events and things happening and and what things are talking about don't necessarily um have to follow one from the other so it's kind of easy for this to turn into a jumble yeah they're essentially in like three locations throughout the longest chapter of the book so far which is the shop the alleyways and the wand shop right so yeah most of it is just uh the i think this is part and this is kind of a long chapter i think partly just because the the author maybe wanted to get out of diagon alley but yeah. it may like you said maybe i think you said last time maybe they're just eager to get him to hogwarts so i'm not sure um because they do that time jump you know from when she shows up in the yeah. middle of the summer to it's a week before school starts well and also like this like you know you know in the original books all of this diagon alley like we have to paint a world to give us a whole background on how everything works but if you're reading this you know fan fiction we already we all know how this you know how the world looks and how it works like we know so it's just you know get forward to the part that's new for us so it's more like you have to just kind of work through it's almost like the diagonal alley part of it as a plot is just kind of a checkbox we have to fill out and work so we're doing this 
these character development things as we're going through, but it's not really important for us as the reader to like know all the things that are Diagon Alley. Like we know we know what what's there and how that works. Yeah, that's a good point. And I so. I forgot actually when I had my list of like here's what I want in the co-host of the show to have. I forgot to add they should have read the original Harry Potter books or at least seen the movies. Well, that was lucky. Yeah. That lucked out, <laughs> uh, especially time-wise when you just finished reading them to your daughters. So yeah. anyway, Harry gets his wand and he's, you know, he's wowed that he can wave it and make sparks come out. And he's, you know, he's like, I, I always had this sense that this was true. And, um, you know, so that, that's, that's sort of like the same feeling that uh, Harry gets in the original books too. I thought that was really interesting because at least to me, it seemed like, like his, because then I think he describes like feeling the magic in his arm like it seemed like this kind of contrast to to the other ways that he's been sort of processing these things. Like that one's kind of really visceral and gut level. Like he feels the thing happening, and so it's a level of like knowing a thing is true. Not like we've been referring to a lot as like an observation. It's more than an observation. It's like a participation. It's an experience of the thing. I thought that was a really interesting way for him to, and it almost feels like it. It sounded like it. It almost bothered him in a way. Um, or that it was both, but he was both sort of fascinated and impressed by it, but also that it was like, it almost bothered him that there was this like power inside him that he, that he hadn't understood before. I thought that was really interesting. It felt like it was a real big kind of contrast to the other ways he's been kind of discovering this new magicalness to himself. Yeah. I didn't read that it bothered him, but I did read that it made it more personal. You know, like when he had the bag of holding and he was doing science on it, that's different than like, I'm making magic happen. Um, you know, there's not the same sort of thing that we can do without instruments or something, you know, as far as muggle, you know, us being muggle scientists. Uh, actually, no, there kind of is. Um, you know, like my first Hello World program, you know, like the, uh, you know, I guess I'll keep the aside very brief, but like I didn't start anything into programming until I was in my late 20s. And right up until I started learning, my whole understanding of it was, oh, coding is this opaque black box of mystery and only people who've been coding since they were you know in diapers can do this and there's just no way for anyone to pick this up and that's because we're wizards <laughs> well it, it turns out that it's, <laughs> it's learnable by any adult who wants to spend a little time learning the very basics and a lot of time getting good but reinstalling um, everything yeah but it's yeah exactly but so like the difference between learning about how computer programs work and then writing your own maybe that's the difference like i'm doing this and i get it now is maybe sort of what, what he's feeling there it's the closest I can get to think, discovering me, magic anyway. Yeah. <laughs> let me let me read the, the it's, it, as we're talking about it more, it's more interesting that so this is what he said as he was doing it. That he had felt the magic pouring up his arm and in that instant realized that he had always had that sense, that he had possessed it his whole life. The sense it was not sight or sound or smell or taste or touch, but only magic. Like having eyes but keeping them always closed so that you didn't even realize that you were seeing darkness. And then one day the eye opened and saw the world. The shock of it had poured through him, touching pieces of himself, awakening them, and then died away in seconds. So yeah, it felt it was very very different from the from the other ways Harry's been kind of taking in all these changes. Yeah. So. He has right above that the I can do magic. Me, as in me personally, I am magical. Yeah. It's a much more like uh, personal exploration of it rather than just him abstractly analyzing stuff yeah and then it moves on to the next thing which i think is the line from the original book and it's very curious indeed that you should be destined for this wand when its brother why its brother gave you that scar okay that could not possibly be a coincidence there have been thousands of wands in that shop well okay it could be coincidences 
but Bayes' theorem said that any reasonable hypothesis which made it more likely than thousand to one that he'd ended up with the, bro with the brother to the Dark Lord's wand was going to have an advantage. What he's saying is, like, it, you know, it could be a coincidence, but if there's thousand to one odds, um, there's, I'm going to assume it's not a coincidence. <laughs> and Professor McGonagall... I can, kind of, had, I can kind of relate to this weird way his, like, thoughts are, like, jumping around. Like, he just got told something about the wand causing mascara, and then he's jumping to, like, calculating, well, if there's thousands to one, and there's a million people, and six billion people divide by a thousand carry the wand, and then, oh, and base theorem, and blah, 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 and the dark light. <laughs> like, his brain is just ricocheting. Yeah, I think he's trying to come to grips with it, but also just, mm -hmm. just trying to say, okay, could this be a coincidence? Because McGonagall's reaction was, how peculiar, and that was it. And you'd pulled this out, like the, the sheer overwhelming uncuriosity of wizards and witches. In no imaginable world would Harry have just went, hmm, and walked out of the shop without even trying to come up with a hypothesis for what was going on, which might have been a dig at the original one. I can't remember how he reacted to learning that it was Voldemort's brother's Although, now that, now that we're going through it again, it's like, oh, the reason her, hmm, how curious, is more about like, oh, let's just not talk about that because we don't want to be bringing up the Voldemort thing. Yeah. Um, I, di I didn't get that the first read through that's probably a big part of it and i think um yeah. certainly maybe not in front of other people like harry knows well i guess everybody knows that whatever voldemort died because i mean even mm -hmm. the guy said it you know its brother gave you that scar but she clearly doesn't want to go into it and he takes that as her just not oh, yeah, really you, caring um you think olivander would have known better than to like bring that up yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then she's like you're a full wizard congratulations and what do you think of the wizarding world and he's like it's strange i ought to be thinking about everything i've seen of magic everything i know is possible and everything i know and everything i now know to be a lie and all the work left before me to understand it and yet i found myself distracted by relative trivialities like the whole boy who could live thing it's like figuring out a way to refer to it in code yeah um so she ahemmed and really you don't say he's like yeah it's just odd to find out you're part of this grand story the quest to defeat the great and terrible Tark Lord and then it's already done finished completely oh, over with part, yeah. like you're Frodo Baggins and you found out that your parents took you to Mount Doom and you had to toss the ring in and you're one year old and don't even remember it and her smile had grown somewhat <laughs> fixed <laughs> you know if I were anyone else anyone at all I'd probably be pretty worried about living up to that start and then he's like, but I have hopes. This is good. Like he gets, this is like a good part where the, he gets snarky again about it. And it, it works. It's the, it's the kind of good kind of snarky, I guess, because we don't take it nearly as seri seriously. But yeah, that was a good funny bit. And I think too, he's thinking. But yeah, then, then, he, then he's starting to like, he's basically almost starting to recite like a plot summary of the original Harry Potter. Like, oh, that would be ridiculous. Like, oh, no, what if the Dark Lord's not dead and I'm part of some like prophecy and blah, blah, blah. And he's, He's stating as ridiculous the things that, you know, having read it, we know are already true. And McGonagall's just trying to count on the nose he's being. Right. <laughs> like, oh, shit, like somebody, who told you about a prophecy? And mm. and this is because he's not, you know, he hasn't read the Harry Potter books, but he's read all the other fantasy novels. And the Harry Potter books, while being, you know, a wonderful, uh, I guess, what do you call it, teen fantasy or whatever the genre, but they they weren't super original. Like the plot, hey, you're the kid with the prophecy about him to, you know, save the world or whatever. Like that's a tried and true trope. So he's very familiar with it. So he's pretending like his life is a story again. And then she's kind of like trying not to give anything away. And and it's funny to hear it as a, it's like as a retelling, like, like a third hand account of the book that we're already a part of. Let me read it. It's, it's pretty funny the way he says it. Uh, he sighed, 
scrubbing his palm over his head. Or maybe the Dark Lord didn't really die that night. Not completely. His spirit lingers, whispering to people in nightmares that bleed over into the waking world, searching for a way back into the living lands he swore to destroy. And now, in accordance with the ancient prophecy, he and I are locked in a deadly duel where the winner shall lose and the loser shall win. It's <laughs> awesome because it's like this. It's like making fun of Harry Potter at the same time. Or It's like, how could we describe Harry Potter in the most you know, cliched way possible. <laughs> well, and, and a lot of fantasy novels too. I mean, um, yeah. I, I, I guess it's another one. It's like this, you know, winking at the camera that totally works where, and it's kind of a cool where it's like both making, it's like making fun of it in a way that like lets us know that we love it. Exactly. And it's, he, he's just reciting tried and true tropes. And then she kind of freaks out and looks around and he's like, look, I'm joking, professor. Why did adults have to take everything so seriously? And then a sinking sensation began to dawn in the pit of Harry's stomach. And she looks at him with a very calm expression. A very, very calm expression. <laughs> of course you are, Mr. Potter. Ah, oh, crap. Ah, <laughs> oh, crap. That was a good line. He's like, oh, shit. Everything I just said is true. Yeah. And then, oh, he's not dead, is he? And he's like, oh, and there's not a prophecy, is there? And she doesn't even say anything. He's like, ah. Oh. <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. <laughs> and he's like, oh, I can't imagine why I thought he was dead. Clearly, I have left to, much left to learn about the art of proper pessimism. And then she's like, he says, are you actually going to tell me about what's going on? And, you know, imagine my, my reaction later when I found out that there was something to worry about after all. And her fixed smile falters. And he says, I have a whole ma magic, excuse me, I have a whole world of magic to analyze. I do not have time for this. <laughs> Which is, <laughs> that's just sort of a fun thing because like the, uh, the, the hero in a book would be like, great, I get to you know live up to this and whatever. But he's just like, I didn't want to be in a book. I wanted to figure this out. <laughs> um, which, uh, to be fair, he's not, he's not self-aware that he's in a book. He's not, you know, doing fourth wall stuff, but he's realizing like, oh, this is, I guess, how things are going. And, and she goes back to a valid point. She's like, dude, you are 11 years old. You are not supposed to have to deal with this stuff. And that's where we kind of bump into again that like Harry's this sort of the English major in me would say preternaturally, um, you know, mature and intelligent, and he, so he's trying he, he's trying to take all this stuff on, and she's trying to bring it back to, you know, a sanity check of you are 11 years old, we are the grown-ups, you're not supposed to have to worry about these things. And he's like, oh yeah, and I'm therefore subhuman. Sorry, I forgot. And she's trying to, you know, express to him that they're secret and that, you know, it's a catastrophe that you know this much and you can't tell anyone. And Yeah, and then he, like, he just, like, locks onto, he's like, by God, she is going to tell me the whole story. And that turns into this, like, this contest of wills between uh, Harry and, and McGonagall. And then this is the, this part, like, disturbed me and I'm still, I'm again not, not, sure how I'm supposed to react to it but because Harry just decides like okay she's going to tell me and he knows that she doesn't want to and so he starts calculating like how am I going to get her to tell me and, and so he rattles off this list of like okay I could try appealing to reason okay that's not going to work I can't remember he goes through all these steps I could you know appeal to justice I could say that that I'll be in danger if she doesn't tell me kind of listing off all of these approaches he might take and, and ruling them out and there was something about and then he like decides on like oh he's going to like basically bargain with her and it's and she ends up using the word blackmail i wasn't clear so he basically says like you tell me or i'm going to out your secret and i couldn't quite like i'm not really sure like what secret was he referring to just that he's going to jump up and down and yell hi i'm harry potter or or that oh no he was so he's saying if you don't tell me about it i'm going to tell everybody that voldemort is still alive 
Yeah, th- is that that was his? That's that's uh, the secret that he's that he's referring to. And I liked yeah. your you pulled out a just a one, you know, a one sentence uh, response to that. Yeah. It's like what a sociopath. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was because there was. Uh, let me read the the part that like got that reaction on me. He says, "Well then, Professor Harry said in a low icy tone, it sounds like I have something you want. You can, if you like, tell me the truth, the whole truth, and in return, I will keep your secrets. Or you can try to keep me ignorant, so you can use me as a pawn. In which case, I will owe you nothing." So it's like, you know, implying these threats. It was just very, like, A, he sort of, like, coldly decided on this goal that he's going to tell her about it for sort of vague reasons around he, quote, must know, um, but that he's, like, so willing to kind of burn the building down in order to find out and kind of, you know, burn any sort of interpersonal trust he has with her in order to kind of get his way on this one thing. It was really, it was kind of... It was creepy the the way he was kind of willing to just go, and that's the word I think he's like sociopath. He, it became all about like achieving this goal of getting her to tell him what's going on, and not caring about any interpersonal cost of the whole thing, and how he just kind of goes through calculating around. This is the part that seemed very like it's a word that get overused, but the sociopath part of it was he was calculating the different ways he could try to win this argument with her and and calculating her reactions to any way he might approach it as just this sort of like cause effect calculation uh, rather than like, okay, he's talking to another person. Yeah. And it, he, he eventually settles instead of like appealing to friendship or fairness, he goes straight to blackmail. And I think the, and upon rereading this too, it seems like the blackmail wasn't just outing that Voldemort was alive, but that McGonagall knew and she kept it secret and she told me, which makes it a personal blackmail on her. Yeah, and you know, again, on rereading this too, I think it makes sense then to have literarily the his freak out about needing to be responsible, needing to be the one in charge earlier in this chapter, because I think the reason that he's so desperate to know is because, as he considers during his sort of sociopathic analysis of how to go about this with her, that plans have already been made based on your ignorance, and you know the responsible adults are handling this. He's like, no, fuck it, I'm the responsible one. I'm not gonna let them try and take care of this. I need, you know, I'm gonna be informed so I can, I can actually be autonomous here, mm-hmm. which is consistent with his, you know, whole neurotic preparation that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, he's like, okay, this is a thing I must know because then I will be able to figure out a way to prevent all bad things. Right, and then more sociopathically he's she's like you would blackmail me and harry's lips twisted i'm offering you a favor i'm giving you a chance to protect your precious secret if you refuse i'll have every natural motive to make inquiries elsewhere not to spite you but because i have to know get past your pointless anger at a child who you think ought to obey you and you'll realize that any sane adult would do the same look at it from my perspective how would you feel if it was you uh, this part maybe this part it's reminding me of um uh, I'm blanking on the name. Uh, the book with the child pilot. Oh, Ender's Game. Uh, it's a really Ender's Game. So this part it reminds me of of Andrew Wiggin from Ender's Game, where he's just like weirdly cruel, but overly like mature, but also believably still a child about the way he's acting. It's, the whole thing is super creepy. <laughs> um, where he just like turns into this very sort of manipulative um, bargaining, and the way he's sort of characterizing his blackmailing is that he's offering her a favor which is just clearly not true um yeah the whole thing's really disturbing yeah it's like holding a gun to someone's head and it's like no i'm offering you yeah. a favor you can give me the money in your pocket and ex- in exchange i won't give you this bullet um <laughs> but yeah it's it's a fair bet that he's red ender's game maybe that's where he picked this up yeah so 
he kind of lets off the pressure and says, you look, you don't have to decide right away. I'll understand if you want time to think about my offer, but uh, let's see. He, d- he does have this. Yeah, no, it's always so creepy when it like use when, you know, intentionally mischaracterizing what you're saying it sort of causes this like unsettling cognitive dissonance for me. It's like, it's not an offer you're threatening or uh, don't understand what you're saying. Yeah. He, he's being scary for sure. Um, yeah. And I'll pull this out because it's a fun little thing that I've done for myself. So, Um, he says, and don't try that oblivion spell on me. Some time ago, I worked out a signal and I've already sent that signal to myself. If I find that signal and I don't remember sending it, then her face kind of shifts. And I wasn't thinking of obliviating you, Mr. Potter, but why would you have invented such a signal if you didn't know about, well, I thought about it while reading a muggle science fiction book. And I said to myself, well, just in case. (laughs) Just in case. Now, was he, he was lying at this point right like he's just making up that he made a signal um that actually would right? Cause work because like i yeah because it's not because he didn't like we didn't plant that as a thing that had happened any earlier and it just sounds like this weirdly again it like fit as him being like manipulative and it, it would and weird like, it might jump out on a second read if you were going through this right when they talk about or right after he concludes that the dark lord must be alive and before he starts blackmailing her he bites his lip so hard that it bleeds Oh, and that's, uh, that, that was on purpose? It seems like it. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, and it's funny because, you know, the the way that I relate this to myself is I've, I, years ago, maybe, I think it was before reading this, um, but I invented a passphrase that only I know so that if I ever were to be confronted by someone who claimed to be my, like, identical clone or a me from the future, <laughs> I could get past the whole, like, are you really me thing with just a one-sentence dialogue. So I like that so, he, he had a similar thing. Um <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, it doesn't necessarily come in handy. All he did was bite his lip, but I just, I like that because I just saw the... Um, no, I was saying you, you've got that squared away for when, you know, it, your doppelganger just trying to impersonate Exactly. Him. And I've been trying to work on one so with you, my wife so that if we're ever in a situation so like in all the you. movies where she has to shoot me or the robot, then I can, you know, tell her which one's the robot. We've worked out <laughs> stealth signals if one of us is secretly in danger, but... Uh, but, um, <laughs> see, it's, it's, it's not neurotic. It's just being prepared. Um, and it's also kind of fun, but the, yeah. So like there was, a a show I just watched on Netflix with Paul Rudd called living with yourself and the premise given away in the trailers that there's a clone of him that seems to be better than him in every way. But at the beginning, anyway, of the story, they're trying to figure out like, is this really me? You know, they're going over each other's memories, that sort of stuff. But I could save myself an hour and just have myself for the passwords. So (laughs) anyway, so let's see. You could just ask you to log into your computer. Exactly. Perfect. (laughs) I like this. Uh, Oh, we've, yeah, we've got the last big part here to cover and then that's about it. But the, um, so she, he gives her time to think about the, the signal or, you know, about the, the generous offer that he's given her. And she offers a concession to him. And she had said, okay, look, it won't help you to go around asking about this. There are only two other people in the world who know about this. And it's Headmaster Albus Dumbledore and Professor Severus Snape. And he's like, aha, more information. He sees that as a peace offering. Yeah, exactly. More information. Yeah. So he knows better than just go running around Diagon Alley and asking people. Um, so then she's like... Okay. She suddenly she looked very old and very tired. And this has been an exhausting day, Mister Potter. Can we get your trunk and send you home? And and he's like, so now I've got to kill an immortal dark wizard. He sighed in frustration. I really wish you told me that before I started shopping. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how much more paranoid he could have been walking through the streets if he like, he probably would have taken out five hundred more dollars and just loaded his trunk with everything he could think of. But 
it's it's just that's just a funny kind of levity note and then there's another line break to signal that we're changing gears here so it's and so then we're off to him buying the trunk so that's 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 yet another store that we're in did this i guess that's what i got unnecessarily stuck on was there there was no trunk anything in the original books was there i mean he has a trunk but there was nothing special about it no, not his trunk. Maybe maybe Malfoy had a nice trunk or something. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything with like an extension charm in the original series. Cause... Yeah, well, so yeah, Hermione had a like a, basically a bag. It was kind of like Felix the Cat's magic bag. It was basically the same thing. You could store like way too much stuff in it. Okay. But I was trying to, I think, yeah, I think Harry's trunk, yeah, Harry's trunk was just this thing he dragged around. There wasn't anything uh, magical about it. And it's, this is where I'm at with my years of separation from the original series and this and methods of rationality that i can't remember if malfoy had a magic trunk with you know more space on the inside than the outside in the regular books or if it was in this one or what but i don't think so yeah i think if there was just hermione's bag i think was the only thing that did the the magical size changing stuff well i guess this one's you know a bigger outside item so it's got a bigger inside item and it's described as having enough room for 12 bookcases and yeah oh yeah and he says why would you know, I don't understand why anybody would buy a house. If right. There's trunks like this. Which would be super cool. <laughs> Maybe and this could just be that the author inventing stuff like, that sounds super awesome, right? That reminds me of the same kind of logic where there's like there's been like Google employees that have just decided to save money by just living in a van in the Google parking lot, even though they're making like six figures. Right. Oh, you know what? <laughs> there, there is something like this in the That's original story where um, when they go to the tri- when they go to the uh, um, the World Quidditch Cup. Uh, the the Weasley's tent that they borrow is like this lavish place on the inside, but oh, it's a yeah, tent yeah. on the outside. Yeah. So this technology existed in the regular books, but it was never utilized. But I think just because, you know, this the Eliezer Yudkowsky is more interested in, I guess, taking things a little further and like just, you know, like in the in the art of munchkining, uh, to use the, the D&D style phrase, just like... <laughs> You know, man, if if you can make a tent like that, why wouldn't there be more stuff than this? And oh man, how cool would that be? So I think this is one of those things. Mm. But the important part of this exchange isn't just that he gets uh, this dope ass trunk; it's that it costs ninety seven galleons. Um, or no, wait, it costs a hundred and no, he only has ninety seven galleons. Yeah. Now I guess yeah, so it costs one hundred and eight, and he's only got ninety seven left. Now, did he think? It sounds like he thought that McGonagall intentionally had him not have enough money to buy the thing. Um, I mean, she clearly, she definitely wants, she's like, oh, we can't afford it, let's go. And she's like, oh, phew, now we don't have to buy a trunk. I don't know. She says that it's her fault and she would take him back to Ringotts if she could, but they're closed. And no, she, she seems yeah, that, like, I mean, well, she definitely we might sounds as well like go. She's like not at all disappointed. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure if she was trying to keep him from getting one. It's hard to see what more trouble he can get into with a trunk than he could with a pouch. Mm-hmm. But I think it was more just like her being, well, oh, well, you know, that sucks. And they don't raise the option of like, okay, cool, I'll send you money tomorrow and I'll order one. But... Or even asking to borrow money from Professor McGonagall, but it doesn't it doesn't come to that. So what happens is they go to leave, or she goes to kind of signal that we sh- that they should go, and she's like, "Oh yeah, we're leaving." And he's like, uh, "Wait a minute!" And then he gets in this hole. He's like, "What if?" I don't think he exactly puts it this way, but he's like, "What if I happen to have extra money lying around?" And and so he basically talks her into like, "You promise not to get mad." She's like, "Okay, fine." And so he like pulls money out of his magic bag of tricks. I wasn't clear because he says he just calls for it like in the same way that he can, you know, ask for anything out of the bag. So he says like twelve galleons from my from my vault or, or something like that. I did eleven galleons originally from my family vault. Um, was 
Did I get it that he was like able to like teleport money out of his vault with his bag? No, that was her interpretation as well. Or was, um, okay. So, oh, did he? He was trying to lead her to believe that that's what he could do. I think just for a second, he he goes on to explain what he does. So he he asks her, you know, basically, hey, look, uh, I'm not trying to you know challenge you or whatever, but if I could have made today go better, would you be okay with that, or would you be pissed because I'm a kid and you know. So then he says, okay, so suppose I had a way to get more galleons from my vault without us having to go back to Gringotts. Would that be me being disobedient or would you, and you would punish me or would that be okay because this is what we need right now? And... <laughs> oh, yeah, so he says actually that he, so that it's not that it can teleport out of his vault, but that he, he's, he said that he, I ought to just lie to you and tell you that my pouch can teleport things out of the vault. Because he discovered the true secrets it. of it. And then yeah. he, she asks him how, and he's, he's like, no, nah, not really. He's just like, I palmed a bunch of money in the vault when you weren't looking. Right. But I liked that when she says, you know, how, and he's like, magic. <laughs> That's hardly an answer. <laughs> and so she, like, I know. she feels his frustration. He explains that, yeah, I grabbed some because I thought, hey, money's important to have around because that's just proper pessimism. And, you know, are you pissed that I defied your authority? Or can we be glad that we succeeded in the our important mission? And the salesman's impressed and... <laughs> um, they finally get the trunk yeah but then she's just like discipline has to be enforced at school but fine so then they get it and he kind of he goes through this and it took me a, a few minutes of thinking about this to figure out why but he's like all right let me uh let me go use the restroom really quick um because he feels like he's going to be sick and he's like covered in sweat i'm like that seems like kind of over the top but i think my read on it is that is it just that that he was overwhelmed by having had to basically, you know, strong arm, strong arm her into doing it. I was also puzzled by it. I think it was because he, like, he didn't seem like he was going to sweat and, you know, throw up from uncomfortableness when he was being sociopathic earlier, right? Because he wasn't mm. really being a kid. The way that I, the way that, the only way that this makes sense to me is like, imagine if I had a conversation like this with my boss where I'm like, okay, look, Remember how you said this would work and it's not? Well, let's pretend like I didn't believe you before and I actually did the thing that I wanted to do and it works because I didn't listen to you. Is that okay? Um, that's the only thing I have in my life right now that resembles a student-teacher relationship, but I think that's why he's freaking out <laughs> is that he, that he like, he's defied... Super close to getting busted. Yeah, or no, I think because he... he basically asked, like, can I defy your authority and not get in trouble? Mm -hmm. But, yeah, so he, oh, yeah, he cleans up and they leave, so. Yeah, and then it seems like they sort of, like, make nice. Like, we can tell we're sort of, like, wrapping up this whole Diagon Alley interaction. Yeah, it's it's wrapping it up. We're leaving the area. Um, the, <laughs> she complains that her day was surreal, and he's like, oh, you know, you think your day was surreal, try mine. And she says, you know, thank you. If, if you had been sorted into the house, I'd have deducted so many points that your grandchildren would still be losing the house cup. Thank you, Professor. It was probably too early to start calling her Minnie. <laughs> I, he did say, he said her, like, right before that, he's like, I was very impressed with you today. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, he wanted to make sure that, that she knew that she did a good job. Which is sort of a weird thing to say. And he, he yeah. even goes on to make up weirder and says, I was awarding you points in my head and everything, which having encountered somebody telling me that, I don't know, a month ago, and she's in her 30s, it was, 
like so one of my coworkers like oh man that's a lot of points for me and or like you just got a lot of points for me or something and i was like oh you keep scores of people in your head too but i don't usually talk about it uh, <laughs> But you're not supposed to tell. Them. Yeah, we don't tell people that we're keeping score. It's a secret we all keep. Oh, but this was nice. He goes to surrender his wand, and she's like, "Oh no, we we don't we don't do that." I was just letting you know that yeah. the ministry can detect underage magic, and it's prohibited without supervision. And it's fun because like one reading of Harry would be like, "Oh man, they're trying to keep me down or whatever." But mm-hmm. I like it because he's like, "Oh, that sounds like a really sensible rule." I'm glad that the Wizarding World <laughs> takes that seriously, and I take that with all sincerity from him because he's. He's not just about being in charge. He's about having sensible, you know, sensible things, yeah. right? So, um, and it would be one thing maybe if they had said, you know, magic doesn't work if you're off premises or something, or if you're underage, um, that might piss him off. But it's just like, oh no, they just—it's yeah. against the law. And he's like, oh, that's fine. That's great. That's a really good idea. Yeah. Because you can break the law in an emergency, but uh, so it doesn't take away his autonomy, but it does make it like a reasonable restriction to have. And then we get this like right at the end, this like foreshadowing the into coming plot advances that uh, McGonagall just sort of cryptically says, hey, go look for Hermione Granger. And he's like, who? What? Uh, and then she won't tell him. She's just like, dun dun dun. Oh, yeah. He turns around and she's gone. Yeah. So, yeah. I wonder what that's about. And then there's a... And then we go to commercial. And then <laughs> after coming back from commercial <clears throat> in the in the next episode of... HPMO. Oh, actually, well, there, there's, there's the short <laughs> aftermath, which is kind of funny, yeah. where yeah. she's reporting to... That's a totally play, like, like coming back from commercial for, like, the last 10-second, like, outro of the, no, it was great. <laughs> of the episode. That's, that's how it played. Um, yeah. And I guess it's the first time we see Dumbledore. Yes. And she's like, you know, so how did you find Harry? And she opens her mouth, then closes it, then opens it, and no words came out. And he's just like, I see. Thank you for your report. <laughs> you can go. <laughs> I liked how that left it, though. It was like, okay, now we're going to really start getting into, like, we're going to get into Hogwarts. Like, we're going to start introducing more characters, and, like, we're ratcheting all that up. So I liked how that sort of added momentum to where the story's going. Yeah, and it's nice to get some, I don't know, higher-level foreshadowing stuff. It's also just funny that she couldn't, like, she's just still baffled by the day, and she couldn't describe it, and he's just like, okay, I get it. It was weird. Thanks. That's, that's, <laughs> that's a good, good report. That's good. That's a good description. <laughs> Um, that about sums it up. So, well, cool. yeah, man. I guess the only other couple things we got here is uh, so the chapter is called the planning fallacy. Um, it was pointed out to me by Inyash actually that when he was doing the audiobook that he noticed after recording each one that then he'd go put the name on the episode and post it that the name always actually made a lot of sense for what happened in the episode and. The way that my reader works on my phone, if I like hit the smart reader, it just grabs the text. It doesn't usually grab like stuff at the top that looks superfluous, so it doesn't really show the chapter. Mm. So I, I didn't get... Anyway, he, he brought that to my attention, so I thought that'd be something to, to look at for maybe all the chapters, if they're all interesting. But um, yeah, if there's a... yeah, they have tied in. I mean, this has been what this chapter was all about, basically. was I mean, if you, if you read from the planning fallacy as Harry's neurotic and is trying to control his whole little world... Then that's totally what this chapter has been all about. So well, so that that actually brings up another thing I wanted to do, and uh, I think that part of what this book's trying to to aim for is to make the the reader know what Harry knows as far as the the techniques of of rationality and cognitive science. So, given that, can you, after having read this, Brian, tell me what the planning fallacy is? What is the planning? Well, that's what he was talking about with. Uh, that we're overly optimistic, that everybody assumes that everything is going that uh, well it's like a probability multiplication that if you're if you're 
extrapolating how you think 10 things are going to go and they all have a 90% chance of going the way you think, then it's going to be 90% chance of it going the way you think, but it's really 0.9 times 0.9 times 0.9. And so if, uh, if 9 out of 10 times it's going to go right, and if you've got 10 of them, one of them is going to go wrong. Probably. So then that was sort of like the how we kind of enlarged that to the whole idea was that, you know, people think that nothing's ever going to go wrong because when they think of any individual situation, it's usually fine. That was really well put. Did I get that right? I think so. There you go. Yeah, I think that was perfect. That's what the, that's the planning fallacy. People assume everything goes well. And like you said, they, they assume everything goes well for all the steps and they multiply wrong because we're not good at multiplication, right? So yeah, perfect. Techniques successfully taught. I should make a list. Excellent. So it's, this is fun because and I, I wrote this in the, the notes here just because I this is one of my, like, one of the easiest things to, to notice when you're, like, and you're, you do this at work, I'm assuming, if you're in sprint planning or even, like, in a feature planning meeting or something, and they're laying out, okay, well, this shouldn't take more than a couple of days, and this should probably take, oh, you know, half a day tops, and um, if it's a good, you know, uh, a good team with good management, you can say, you know what, we need a buffer in there. Nothing's ever that easy, and especially if there's unknowns involved, is, right? Yeah. Um, it's a uh, round up, double it, and add three. <laughs> I had one architect put it to me one time that, oh yeah, you just double the number and then increment it by a unit. So if you think it'll take one hour, it'll take two days, uh, <laughs> which is probably overdoing <laughs> it. But so I, I grabbed a few examples of real world planning fallacy stuff. Cause some of like, especially like the, the research that Harry cites is like the cited research of this, which the drag of, of cognitive science research, which is actually what I got my, well, I got my degree in psychology, but it was focused on cognitive stuff. Um, less of the like psychoanalysis and psychotherapy stuff and more cognitive psychology. And it's a bummer that really all the research that people do is done on, not all of it, but a large amount of it is done on college students because it's either grad students or professors doing the study and they can just make kids participate in them, right? So I was part of that. Yeah. Yeah, me too. And I, I, I did one and I can't remember even what we found if it would have been useful. But um, so there were, there were a handful of real world examples that I thought were a lot of fun. Um, and in fact, even on the Wikipedia page, well, I'll save it for last. I'll run down through the list really quick. So the Sydney Opera House was expected to be completed in 1963. A scaled down version opened in 1973, a decade later. And the original cost was estimated to be $7 million, but the delayed completion led to a total cost of $102 million. <laughs> so it was a decade late and cost $100 million more than they expected. Um, the Eurofighter Typhoon defense project took six years longer than expected and overrun cost by 8 billion euros. Uh, the Boston Central Ar Artery was completed seven years later than planned, costing another 12 billion. Seems like construction and computer programming have very similar problems. Yeah. That sounds about, I mean, they're kind of the same thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> we like to tell ourselves. They're what? We like to tell ourselves that. I mean, there's, 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 there's parallels. <laughs> Um, I think this is probably the case for any large-scale planning thing. But the other one that made the list on Wikipedia was the Denver International Airport, which opened 16 months later than scheduled, with a total cost of $4.8 billion, which, but that was $2 billion over expectations. I remember that. It was, uh, it was all about the, uh, the luggage conveyors. I remember that being so a big thing that they had to do at least a couple yeah. of times. But then there was just, the, like, what, last year they finally opened up, I think, the G-Line that runs to Arvada? And that was like two years delayed, and I have no idea what the cost was yeah. um, above what they expected, but I'm sure it was higher. Uh, but yeah, the point is this thing happens all the time. So what I like about the planning fallacy as it relates to just the cognitive phenomena that people experience is that we can observe real-world 
things of this happening all the time. You don't even have to have a job where this is involved. You can just uh, look at any big project that's happening in your city, and especially one that was done five years ago, and then look up what it was supposed to cost and see how long it actually took and what it costs. So rather than just being college students guessing on when they'll finish their term paper, this was actual uh, real-world stuff. So yeah, man, that's all I got for this one. Cool. Any other final thoughts or notes on this one? No, I'm curious to see where it goes. I keep going back and forth on how I, how much I like or dislike Harry. <laughs> so we'll see where we end up. Well, that'll be fun. Mm-hmm. I think I do like, uh, I mean, obviously I like the protagonist. I, I've liked this book. I've read it a few times. So like, well, read slash listened too. So I think um, I'm biased, but it, it, it's nice to, you know, that's the whole point. See what a, an objective person coming into this feels about it. And maybe it gets more likable. Maybe we just get to like him more. Um, who knows? So. Well, anyway, and if, if part of this is us working through those things, that's that can be super interesting. Yeah. If, you know, if we're, like, watching how does Harry work through these, you know, weird control freak things and his wishing that adults would stop treating him like an 11-year-old. And yeah, we'll have to see how it goes, so man. It just depends on what we do with it. Yeah. And I can tell you that I think since Chapter 6 took us a whole episode, Chapter 7 definitely will, too. Um, it's about as long, and yeah, there's a lot to cover there. Yeah, it's even longer, so. yeah. We'll be back next week with Chapter 7. Awesome. 